This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Delta Green is ostensibly a game about subterfuge and agents and, you know, sneaky stuff. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how it always ends up in firearms, but ostensibly this game involves a lot of tradecraft. Right. The older game's almost predicated on that fact because, you know, like the earlier source book has like secure email server and which is something else to discuss entirely. But in original Delta Green, if you didn't trade craft, you were immediately targeted by an invincible organization that had controlled all information and would relentlessly hunt you until you died. Right. So the need for secrecy was pretty great. And uh, the older version of the game had the tradecraft skill, didn't it? I think that was added back in in a later source book. It might be targets of opportunity. So there was, there was like a, uh, a directive from ASL where they made fun of the idea of um, adding a tradecraft skill. It was like, yo, uh, if, if, if we added a tradecraft skill, it would be like adding a skill to know about elves in D&D. You should just know about elves. And I was like, no, fuck elves. And then apparently so were the game designers because they added a tradecraft skill. Aren't there like literally skills for knowing about elves in D&D? Like aren't there lore or religion? From from 3.5 onward, yes, there were. One of the things I always find difficult with tradecraft is like I understand, either I understand or the players I'm playing with might have an understanding of like how bits and bobs of tradecraft work, but how to gamify it into like, you know, is it just a drive roll to tail somebody or is it disguise? Like what? What are the ways to make it work in the war, like in the mechanics? So those are all kind of laid out in the back of the agent's handbook for the newer game. Like you have to go to Fine. the appendix. We all know I read that. Yeah, we all know that you haven't read anything. Apparently, I'm just taking after the Delta Green. In, in fact, <laughs> if you go to the appendices, it's a page 165 is where you get like all the. You know, how to adjudicate these sort of rules and how to do this and how to do that. I like the idea that Kevin just implied that the original Delta Green book was written through automatic writing, that nobody actually read it even as they were writing it. Okay, but here's the thing. Kevin is clearly writing through automatic talking because all the things that he got outraged about not knowing, we've discussed on this show with him in the room. Makes me wonder if he's got, like, amnesia or something. I just don't think I realized the scope of how bad it was, but that's a topic for another time. So for for the listeners, um, we can put this as a separate block of audio, but uh, we need to get this on air. Um, Kevin Kramered into the Night of the Opera Discord waving a gun because he was incensed to learn that uh, Majestic was controlled by the Mego and Pisces was controlled by the Shans. He read it in like a Patreon post uh, like a week ago, and he was real upset. And we were all like, Kevin, this is 30-year-old lore. I don't like it. And I mean, Kevin, your all of your reactions are the reactions we had like three years ago. I mean, it does answer my question of why Kevin likes a game with wizards and magic when he just wants a game about like cops investigating stuff. And the answer is he doesn't actually know what the game's about. I don't want the game with, with, with the wizard stuff. Wait, wait, wait. Kevin, That's exactly Kevin, my Kevin. point. Like, you yeah. think Delta Green is not a thing it is and a thing you want it to be. Well, it can be. Hey, the, hey, the devs have said you can make it whatever you want to be there for whatever I want Delta Green to be is what it is. Anything that's not what I want is wrong. I complained about, like, the players knowing all the lore and you should, like, you know, surprise them with new stuff. But I guess with Kevin, I don't have to.
Hey, you could just like you could you could write things like pulled straight out of the uh, handler's guide, and Kevin wouldn't know the difference. It's true. Anyway, thank you for indulging me in that, and by indulging me, I mean being held hostage. Anyway, the back of the agent's handbook, which everyone should have read in order to play the game. <laughs> I, I disagree. It's got all the rules. What do you mean? Agent's handbook. Oh, no, 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 no. You're confusing agent's handbook with handler's guide. Oh, wait, no, no. no we're not t- talking about lore. No, we're back to tradecraft. We're back to tradecraft. You're confused. I thought you were going to make fun of Kevin for not reading the book, but you're reading a different book. Jacob, yeah, he hasn't read any books. Dude, That's that, my that point. That book I've read, all right? Okay. Agent's what, handbook. What page? 165. It's where the tradecraft stuff starts with rules adjudication and, you know, how to do this with what opposed skill. And my point I wanted to bring up about it is that it kind of goes back to what we talked about with the stealth mechanics that the opposed roles are kind of like it's implied that they're on a binary like pass fail and it's because of the pass fail framework that lots of people don't want to engage in tradecraft they just want to go the easiest route the one that gives them the most level of control which is violence. Jake I think it's great that you brought that up because one issue that I keep having is that and other players can attest to this because they've been in games of, this, of mine where this happened, is that players generally, in my experience, are not really interested in surveillance. If they think an NPC has information they want, their first recourse is to grab the NPC and beat it out of them. And this makes the game very difficult to run because, as I've said before, interrogations are something of a problem in Delta Green because the players don't want to ever defocus or de-escalate. They take any any time that the NPC isn't being cooperative or genuinely doesn't know anything as a sign that they need to ratchet up the intensity of the interrogation. Even when I tell them out of character, hey, you don't think this guy is going to respond to that or hey, you don't think this guy knows anything. Because Tom, you were in the room with this, when this happened. Oh yeah, no, we were trying to interrogate a guy and in the process, he kept saying, no, I'm not going to tell you that because you're threatening me. And in the process, trying to intimidate him more and more, we giving him more information about ourselves. Not only that, but like but like I, I said, you know, you you haven't actually interrogated him, you've just asked him the same question and nothing else. And so the players escalated from hitting him to pouring gasoline on him to like denying him his medication. And then uh though although in, in fairness we have discussed I think on this program before the idea of giving people more information is partially a that can, that can partially be solved by the way that you run interrogations because usually all the players talk over each other and eventually someone says something that torpedoes the whole thing. So you have to abstract it a little more in order to make it more plausible and also let the entire group participate. If interrogations are the easy route because it's just violence um, and tradecraft is the hard route, how do we make tradecraft easier? I actually no. don't think that interrogations are the easy route. I think interrogations are actually a lot harder than people imagine because most people are not are going to, by default, not tell you things. And yeah, you can eventually get beat information out of them or make a deal with them or something to get the information. But if you surveil someone, you get all that stuff for free. If you watch someone, they'll do things that they wouldn't tell you they would do. Right. Uh, just to go back to what Kevin said a minute ago, people are afraid of the the binary. And if you reference like older segments where we talked about stealth, and I encouraged everyone to use clocks from Blades in the Dark, you know, instead of it being like a binary system of pass failure, you could have failure where there's an interesting narrative complication or uh, some other sort of setback that people have to work around. And the game progresses forward instead of saying, no, that didn't happen, or immediately raising the stakes from like, you know, level one to level 99. Um, that's that's one way. And then another, 
I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent here about another product for another game. Um, that's a scenario called the pipeline from call of Cthulhu and another, they just, they put the same sort of rule system in another scenario. They just released called highway of blood. Uh, these are on the Miskatonic repository if anyone's interested, but, um, the book highlights, uh, something called the rule of three, which is how to tune down, uh, you know, lethal or really dangerous encounters by making it either one, two, or three skill checks. One, of course, being really deadly or impossible. Two, like the middle ground. And three, for like easy or pulpy adventures. So like determine what sort of game you want and then like adjudicate the the system of pass failure as such. Uh, that's, my, that's my tangent there. I, I had a GM who, he might be listening to this, so sorry. He did this really frustrating thing where sometimes someone would like want to climb um climb a, a, a cliff and he'd be like all right give me four athletics rolls and then you know we'll kind of like average amount we'll see what happens which i always thought which was a, b- a better way to make someone fail because as soon as there's a single failure in there because you have to like succeed on all four to, to get up which one's not the average then it's the wait well, we, well, yeah, we yeah, for yeah. sure had this exact conversation because i remember you doing it was this on text and, reacting, and then you oh okay okay yeah, we had this conversation via text one time, I think. Nice. Okay, oh, sorry, sorry, Kevin. So, you know, and so I mean, average is made the wrong term, but, you know, so roll four times, you know, let me know if you get any crits or any fails, and then you, you know, adjudicate from there. Which always always felt like a recipe for his failure because you just very likely to get one failure in that kind of a situation. Um, so does this rule of three have a similar thing where if someone, you know, if it, if it allows three skill checks before something happens, or is that, does it account I'm, for that? I'm time? sorry, I, I, I'm going to ask the same question that Kevin's asking, but I'm going to make it more fundamental. Who, who is making the skill checks here? The players are. So they get, they get what, three attempts? Basically, like three strikes and you're out, kind of, if you're doing it on like the easy or like more pulpy mode. Yeah, it's so just um, a way of like fine tuning the danger level. Caligati has that. In Caligati, when you're running away from the star spawn at the end of the adventure, you get like an int save and then a navigate save and then a dodge attempt to try and get away from the creature. And you yeah, only die if you fail all of them. Um, but this one, it's like like for the one skill. And uh, in fact, the one that it gives is for scaling a brutal cliff. Um, you should do uh, like fine tune it where you know, what happens before your character falls like hundreds of feet below and dies. But um, I guess it's just another way. And um, we, we've also talked about like why you shouldn't roll the dice unless there's an interesting like consequence for failure. So like in keeping with that, you could combine rule of three and interesting consequences for failure. Um, maybe make things like a little bit more dramatic and exciting. Really, uh, it's just a problem that I think a lot of people have with systems with the binary pass failure and i just wanted to bring that up because that's one of the reasons why you say that people escalate things to violence so quickly yeah because so specifically what jake's getting at here is that my this is this is a um I, i don't know if this is genuinely true but this is what i've observed and what i think is happening is that people don't want to do surveillance because they think it takes too long and specifically they think that if they mess it up then they'll have no recourse like they th- like so for example we've talked about this before on the show i think that tailing someone in a car by rules as written takes the worst of your stealth or drive rolls which means that most people are not going to be able to do it which effectively takes it off the table and so if you're just running that strictly rules as written which i don't think you should be then of course players are going to say well shit we've got no hope here let's let's black bag them because when you black bag someone, the players feel like, oh, I can control the situation. I can keep the NPC from leaving. Whereas if you do stealth, they're worried, I'm going to fail a stealth roll and he's going to get away. 
it's, it's sort of like a point of no return. That's especially bad because it's it's versus the, the opposing alertness, and in a in a group of players, alertness is or a group of NBCs is going to have a pretty solid alertness in there. At least fifty or so, yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing to to note is that uh, this is this this goes back to something that Tom you told us in one of the really early episodes, which is that the enemies should not be elite infallible badasses. And that means that it should be relatively, if not easy, then at least possible for players to surveil them without immediately being made. And not just that there shouldn't be elite badasses, but it's it's really easy to make all your NPCs elite badasses when they're just generic and have no names. Like, you should assign them at least a little bit of personality so that there's a method to approach and maybe a weakness that the players can exploit when dealing with them. You know, another thing is that they're infallible, they're imperfect. They should also realize, like, they shouldn't be hyper-paranoid unless they have a reason to be hyper-paranoid. Like, if a player fails a drive check trying to tail someone, um, maybe the NPC makes a note of their car, or, you know, says, oh, you know, there was, like, a black Dodge Charger it was following me around earlier. If I see a black Dodge Charger again, maybe then I should be a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more aware of it, but it's not like, oh shit, that's the feds. Let me immediately go into like all my fail safes and try to go to ground and you know evade them. Like, uh, what's what's the phrase? Once is coincidence, twice is happenstance, three times is enemy action. That's yeah, that's, that's actually a kind of good rule of thumb. And that's also uh, unintentionally, I think I've just arrived back at the rule of three there. So within within the existing game game. Within the existing uh, mechanics, one of the things you can do is give your players a hefty bonus for planning. If they if they just say I'm going to get my black dash charger and follow that guy, you know maybe they roll a base. But if they have a plan, they're going to use two different cars, or they're going to use a nondescript car, like you know, or a rental or something, and they're going to swap cars every right three so intersections. You know, whatever, like maybe let them roll at a higher, or just give them the damn check, you know, and let give them the damn clue, right. If they're doing it, and they would just stick with what's more narratively interesting. But I just wanted to say that, like, when you're tailing a car, it usually involves, like, three or four, like, uh, you know, government vehicles or whatever to tail the criminal. Because they will swap out whenever they think they've been made. They'll have someone else, like, pick up the car, just keep the thing going to where it's not one car the whole time. So, like, that planning process is good. I used to know this factually, but I'm just trying to guess in the trying to dig up the old brain cells here. But basically, like you know, like if the car, if the suspect car turns, you might follow it for one turn, but you're not going to follow it for two turns. Someone else is going to come in a cross street and pick them up. So I think you need four cars. Yeah, I think it's four. Mathematically, you need like four to make it work. And that's assuming all the handoffs are clean. Like you have somebody ready to go. The other easy way to like tail a car is just like sneak up on it, put like a GPS tracker on it, a bug. Um, I'm just trying to think of like other, other ways you could tail a car. Do you guys we, have any other we, ideas? We have, we live in a modern surveillance state where, you know, the police scan every less, but they see you cameras everywhere. Right. So like you could also just follow them digitally and get a pretty good track of where they are. Maybe not oh, if you're in like Lincoln, uh, sorry. Lincoln, Nebraska, but if you're in like Manhattan, just use the state. Dude, we get so many uh, stolen vehicle recoveries just by like contacting OnStar directly. Like we'll contact OnStar and they'll be giving us like live real time, like ways to track a car. And then like uh, 
they'll say, you know, they'll be looking at like the satellite map and it'll be like, hey, it's parked in a field behind this apartment complex. And we can be on the phone with them and be like, all right, engage the child locks and turn the vehicle off. And so like, yeah. they'll be sitting there like, this is so funny. We rolled up on it and they're just like slamming at the door from the inside, trying to get out, you know, <laughs> and we take them all into custody. So like you could do that in real life and you should be able to do it in Delta Green if you have the right skills and perhaps like a badge or whatever. Most modern cars, if it was, even if it's not OnStar, like I know some of the major manufacturers, like my Honda's got a computer in it and I'm not subscribed to anything, but I'm pretty sure the police can still track it. Their Honda. Like the capabilities it. there, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? Surveillance is a more preferable alternative to just like black bagging. What other uh, items of tradecraft can you guys think of? There's a thing that always comes up, at least that, that I find it an interesting way to describe things is the difference between overt, covert, and stealth. So think about. I'm going to use picking a lock because it's a recent example somebody brought up uh, or, or getting through a door, right? Over it is you just kick the door down. Anybody who walks past that door can then tell something has gone wrong. There's something amiss. The door is kicked in. The frame is all messed up. And maybe somehow maybe you don't care, right? Covert is like maybe you pick the lock, but when you pick the lock, you still left clues in there that someone could could find. If that lock is disassembled, you can see where there's pick marks and things like that. So if you're, tr- if you're trying to go in and like, say like you know plant a plant a trojan or plant a surveillance device and somebody's tradecraft aware or they they suspect something's amiss they could back they could figure out that something had gone wrong and then stealth is like you have a copy of their key there's no way to tell you've entered that you used you know the key on the lock because the marks would never show and then there's no way to tell you've been in and out i think a decent way to maybe translate that into game terms like overt no check to notice that the damage has been done covert a uh, check could reveal that that the intrusion's been made and stealth like uh it'd be like a check with a penalty i mean stealth i mean i would i would almost say it's impossible that's the whole point right. of it. Like a 40 percent penalty you'd or something to, you'd have to like find someone with a copy of your key and then that would lead you back to the fact that they've been through your door right. you know what i mean it's like it would be a you need to come to a conclusion completely um you know door adjacent well, it'd be like a counter intrusion method, like the old spy trick where you tape a hair across like a doorway. Yeah. And if the hair's broken, then your door, then your seal's been popped. See, that's one of those things where I never know. Well, I haven't really found a reason to screw with the player this way because I think it's kind of cheesy. But like, the average Delta Green agent in reality, if they're really a fed and they're living this double life, would do that would do some of that kind of stuff just by second nature so much like in you know done of the dragons i don't need to hear i'm searching the room every time you search every single room like uh, if it's something if there's an obvious thing i'm going to give it to you i feel like a basic level of tradecraft awareness i, I want to give to every agent because i don't want them to have to say every time they leave a room all right i get a piece of scotch tape and i tape a thing here and i leave a scuff mark here because as this box like, it'll bite the game down so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take that kevin i'm gonna gonna um adjust it slightly based on the example of D&D, because one of the things that older versions of the game had is that rather than demanding that the players say, I search every object, they offered you effectively a choice of, do you want to move fast and miss stuff and potentially get hit by traps and, you know, get surprised by monsters and, uh, you know, miss, miss like hidden objects? Or do you want to move a lot slower, but in a more advantageous position. And I think that is actually an interesting choice that doesn't actually force the players to say, 
I'm searching the room every time. So I think yeah. that and Delta Green should be a choice. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had players like be trying to run away from a crime scene. And then there's always, always at least one guy, and usually more, who says, okay, before I leave, and then he queues up like a list of five actions. Yeah, yeah, like eight things. He's like, scrub scrub my fingerprints, clean up the blood, take the cell phones, put them in a blender, you know, like all this other stuff. I know what you're talking about, because I've had uh, that happened in a game I was running recently for uh, some friends. And I said, well, you hear the police sirens coming and uh, you could maybe do one of those things. How about we abstract over it with a forensics role instead? Because I think that's what's listed as like crime scene cleanup skill. One of the things, one of the reasons that can be frustrating is in reality, all agents will be doing things at the same time. But obviously, if they're narrating their actions to you five to one, that becomes untenable very fast. So agents have to wait their turn. Yeah, you could do that, but that feels, I mean, that's, that can be kind of painful to do every single thing that way. A little bit. Um, this is where, when, when, it, when it happened to me, I once again whipped out the Blades in the Dark clock and we kept an initiative order. And I, you know, I told myself when it comes to the four clock, that's when it'd be possible for the police to detect them. So they had like three players had four actions and each one had a check so i had like a a thing of like how many times they failed and how many times they succeeded and like a lot of people don't even really get into that because a lot of people glance over or like gloss over the the at the end of the operation you know where you detected the, the 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 parts of the game where you apply penalties to people which can be pretty fun but uh I, I think it's something that's like a part of the system that needs to be engaged with a little more. Maybe it does require a little more nuance than what's listed in the back of the book. I guess if, if I knew, if I knew I was going to sick the police on them, if it wasn't a result of a, it wasn't, if it didn't come up, I knew that was going to happen. Then you could, you could more clearly say, okay, uh, you know, you're into the room. What are you doing? Okay. This guy's going to go check the computer. All right. You note that down. That's what he's doing. It's going to take, you know, 20 minutes. I would say what else doing. And then that way, when the, when you hear the sirens, the guy who hadn't said he's doing anything yet, maybe could have been doing stuff like, you know, or wiping behind the guys who were checking things out, you know, give them a little bit of like almost like backwards time to take some longer actions. That's fair. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking. And I think this might've been the same example Max was given like immediately after the violence breaks out where, you know, there's like multiple folks calling in the police, the cars are coming. You can hear them coming. You're in trouble. You need to act quick. But I mean, if you have like time to do things, then, Like, maybe it's not even, like, an interesting thing to roll for. I think you need to kind of strive for a sort of balance between those two things. Not rolling and frantically rolling. So my, my, my thing is not rolling versus not rolling. My thing is doing the job right versus getting through it quickly. I think that's, that's the choice that I want to present because, and, and I, I understand why it's not always satisfying because, um, it does sometimes push the players just towards get in there, shoot everything up, and then run away. Which, one one thing that I wish people would tradecraft more in this game is try to come up with more plausible explanations for killings than just, I went in there and shot him. Like, you know, make it look like an accident, which is something that Delta Green is supposed to be good at, according to the, the published material. So use a bit more imagination than just several firearms when you assassinate somebody. Because I wouldn't be so annoyed with players whose first recourse is to mulch everything with with uh, murder if they put a little more thought into it. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think it's just, that's about incentivizing the the non firearm side of thing in some way. Just players are actually going to go for the easiest or the or what they feel is going to give them the most bang for their buck. Uh, so what looking other... looking at the back of the book here for Good. more examples. Um, 
something we talked about surveillance a lot and i think uh, even a failed surveillance role can keep the game moving forward how's that if you scare someone they're imperfect they might go to ground which can reveal more about the organization they work for or what do they do when they panic is an important thing to learn because that was my uh like a failure might be a good thing for players because it can smoke a target out or lead them straight to the thing they're looking for like the secret drug manufacturing spot usually when players do uh kidnap someone and hold them you know interrogate them they're usually there's they're they're doing that with the assumption that they're going to have to kill that npc afterwards because they've probably revealed a lot of sensitive information either through just asking you know all of them talking at once or the questions they ask and so they're like all right this guy knows too much we gotta we gotta kill them but i think that like you said it could be fun to let that let that person go and if they're not very good at their job they're immediately gonna gonna call someone and say hey i just got picked up and the feds are after us yeah it's uh like going fishing like a little catch and release program you let the big fish go and catch the big one later you let the small fish go and catch, pick uh, up the big one yeah yeah said that backwards yeah yeah i mean think about how many movies you've seen or you know media properties you see where where you know the low level criminal you know fucks up and then the the talks to the to the big fish, big fish is like you fucker, you let him right here. I mean, that's a pretty common. Yeah, thing. he's like slaps him and calls him an idiot. It's great, and, and, you know. And, you know, one, one thing that people seem to forget with Delta Green, um, partially because the procurement system is so difficult sometimes, and the timeline is so long that you never seem to have the time to do it. But if you have an operation where there is enough of a timeline, like the government has very powerful surveillance tools. Like I'm thinking about that. Recently, there was a protest in Virginia. And there was this like special operations unit aircraft that flew over it in several different like, oh, places. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so everyone is making the assumption that it's some sort of spy plane, which it, you know probably is. But you know those can capture cell phone signals. They can capture high res three D imagery. You know they can like or the, the what's what's the town that's going to put surveillance drones over the city for like the whole year? In Baltimore, I think. And then people, the police will be able to pull the the feeds up and like after the fact, that's see if really wild. Yeah, like so, as Delta Green, you have ostensibly have access to that if you if you you know acquire it. That's super powerful. Well, isn't isn't, isn't the, the problem with Baltimore ahead, that isn't isn't the problem with Baltimore not so much that the police have incomplete information, but that the police are and I and I'm I'm, I'm saying this based on like everything I've seen from real life and not just based on a certain television program that the police are not only like extremely corrupt but also just incompetent and that mass surveillance won't actually help the situation. The pendulum swings wildly back and forth between yeah, incompetence yeah, exactly. and corruption. Like, I remember this being a thing that it wasn't just that they were, like, you know, people attribute assorted malice to the police, but they were also just genuinely not very good at their jobs. And, and the wire is based on a true story, man. I, I mean, know it's based on a true story, but, but like, this is this is something that I had, like, read from non-meme sources. I mean, it's probably true. Um, there's no reason to, like, disbelieve it. I was yeah. just thinking also... Uh, Chicago has stingrays. Uh, Washington D.C. is covered in stingrays. The IMSI catchers you can get those yeah, like van sized, and it can cover like entire city blocks. You can fine tune like what information it collects, uh, where it's like a dragnet, or you're just looking for like one specific one specific person you're trying to you know tap into their phones or whatever. And don't forget, those are so neat. There's a there's a game that I there's a scenario that I have run. One of the clues that they get is a prism intercept. The agents get a prism intercept of the a suspect's cell phone call. And so don't forget that the government was has you know 
ostensibly has a massive database of cell phone information on uh, everybody in the country, whether or not right. whether or not you it's can audio do recordings keyword or, searches. or just metadata. That's that can be enough. So again, don't forget you have access to this apparatus, uh, this terrifying apparatus. Big Brother is watching. Yeah, it's massive and overarching, and people should make more use of it. And more stuff yeah. should be written so that they're not insane time crunches and you actually have the ability to do fun things. I agree. I've been trying to write some scenarios like that here lately where there's not like a 24 or 48-hour like doom clock. Um, another aspect of surveillance, or not surveillance, another aspect of tradecraft. Uh, Tom, do you remember when we played Black Winter and um, I made you guys use signs and countersigns? Yeah, that was really fun. We had like I forget what the two terms were. I think one of them was salt, and so yeah, we were salt and to, iron. Should be nine. Yeah, so we were supposed to say we were supposed to say one of them, and then the friendly would say the other one back to us, right? So we kept approaching every NPC and just trying to work work it into conversation as normally as we could. I remember having a lot of fun, like hearing you guys try and come up with that. Like uh, these are some real salt of the earth people, or this man is worth his salt. Um, that was fun. I really, I want to do more like that, but it's hard to frame that sort of level of tradecraft in a scenario. Like, why do you, why do you need to secretly approach things? Yeah, it was a fun little bit of interactivity. It made every kind of, it made every interaction with an NPC really exciting because you weren't, you were waiting to see if they kind of clued into what you were doing. It's more of like, like Cold War, um, you know, identities are needing to be kept secret. I'm not sure we get the same level of secrecy in like the modern Delta Green. Uh, definitely like 90s, like cowboy operations. You, I could see the need, and that's why they had like agent code names back then as well. One adventure that I've had, uh, one one way that I've got the players to use more uh, tradecraft and surveillance is when I run the games in the United Kingdom with Pisces. Because Pisces is an organization that's built around using uh, the GCHQ government communications headquarters, just like the British NSA, uh, Panopticon to conduct anti-mythos activities. That uh, and because the players have a legitimate credential that allows them to access that information, they are much more interested in pursuing those avenues of attack. And yet, I still also get people in 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 two out of the three games I've run who say, all right, I take a gun and I go black bag him. And what's funny is that in one of those cases, it would actually have been very easy to, um, very easy to, to hide if the player had done a tiny bit more legwork beforehand, because the game was set in Northern Ireland where it's actually very, well, not very common, but not unheard of for people to get black bagged by the paramilitaries. So it would have been very easy to say, Oh, an Ulsterman got him or an IRA man got him or whatever. But Instead, it was just, no, I just put a gun to his head and just drag him into a public park and interrogate him there. A public park? Yep. Weren't they afraid of someone, like, seeing? Nope. People talk, man. We have talked in the past about the disguise skill, right? Yeah, I, I still think I've never uh, had anyone roll it or never had to roll it for anything. So it's, uh, But, like, if you look at, like, The Americans was a TV show that made extensive use of disguise. Like, it, disguising yourself is a very important part of tradecraft. It just feels like it's a big black hole and dumped the green. So there's a scenario called Wormwood Arena that's supposed to make good use of the disguise skill, um, but it doesn't, and I actually think that's a good thing because Wormwood Arena is a scenario about going undercover, and I think at least the original draft of it said whoever's got the highest disguise skill should go undercover, but no one in the game has a high disguise skill unless they picked like one of a couple specific backgrounds. And 
if you make people roll disguise for everything, then they're just not going to go into cover at all. They're going to say, that's too risky, I'm going to get killed. And uh, I know that I stopped putting disguise on characters because the one guy I had disguise on just kept getting thrown into meat grinders of incredible violence, and it was pretty useless to be able to disguise yourself when the objective is just shoot everybody. Yes, yeah, so I mean, what... <laughs> So is there is there an incentive that can be given to get players to utilize disguise, or is there something that can be done with a with a low disguise? I feel like the thing about disguise is you shouldn't really need to roll unless you're trying to pass yourself off as a specific other person who actually exists in the world. Like if you're just a made up character or legend, I guess in spy terms, then I don't know if there's a whole lot anyone would do to spot the breakpoints in your story. It's when you're trying to say, yes, I am your husband to the guy's wife, that that should be a disguise role. Here's a genuine question for you guys. Do you know the name of the janitor at your place of work or the maintenance man at your apartment complex or uh, even your mailman? Because those are all like viable disguises that an agent could don in order to get close to something to do some other sort of activity related to tradecraft. I completely agree. I think my problem with the disguise skill is that it's a skill where if you start enforcing, like, you know, this is what you can do with the disguise skill, it also implicitly means that, like, the 90% of players who did not take the disguise skill, like, are now not able to do all that stuff. Like, I want players to do undercover stuff and, and, and use those techniques even if they don't have that skill, because I think that that stuff's fun, and I don't think that you should need an obscure skill to do it. So what benefit is there to taking the skill, then? I think Tom nailed it in that if, if you're trying to become Jake, then obviously, if I'm trying to become Jake and fool Jake's wife, I'm going to need to roll heavily on the disguise skill. If yeah, I'm you're going to have, like, a 40% ability. If I'm trying to disguise myself as a maintenance guy in Jake's apartment complex, that should be no skill, no 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 requirement as long as you can get access to the you know to the to a uniform place, which is pretty fucking easy. Well, I'm taking that from sort of the way Gumshoe treats it, where uh, it's a role like that if you are trying to be a specific person, someone who's well connected and who has an actual identity. But if you're just trying to get through the door as the maintenance man, you don't even have to roll. It's just spend a point of the scale and you're through the door. Yeah. The uh, then for the record, I feel like the, the best uh, the best person to be disguised as is in, in a place with elevators is the elevator repair guy. Because no one knows who that person is. And then if in you're getting into the building, you're messing with the elevator. All you all you have to do is be like, "Yeah, you've been having problems with this one, right?" Oh, you I just know, wanted you, you to. You guys are fast. Yeah, well, I'll take care. Okay. Of it. I, I got off on this floor because uh, you know I just need to make sure that it opens properly at every floor. What floor is this? That's a good right. one. Yeah, so like the way I would do it is if you're putting points in the disguise skill, that should be one of those skills where you've got 20, 40 points. Okay, you can just pull a toolbox and a jumpsuit out of your car and people won't give you a second glance. It's just like a flat, you've got X many points, you can do this. I think you could also, because Max, you were saying, you know, if one person has the disguise skill and none of the other people have it, um, it's sort of like how when you're trying to use like stealth for the group, you use, what is it? Uh, the lowest skill, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, when you're using disguise for the group, maybe use the highest skill because it's already has like a implicit bias towards failure since nobody starts out with any points in it. I'm sure there's something about the attitude or like approach for like why the, why the skill roles for groups function that way. But I think it's more fun uh, to at least give it a chance. 
Yeah, I mean, I've house ruled stealth being the high roll for a long time because otherwise players will never use it, and that's just not fun. Same thing applies to disguise in my book, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, anywhere where the players can help each other out, I let it be the highest. What else do we have here? I had a, just like a kind of a random thought about the difference between cryptography and stenography. So like if someone, if you see like an, an if you see a, a JPEG image on a computer and it's all these weird glyphs, that's going to be a suspicious thing you want to investigate. Is it? it well, I, mean, I, don't, if, I don't know what that means. It it could be. You're searching a guy's, you're searching a, a, a guy's house, right? And on his computer is a bunch of images with weird glyphs on them that may draw your attention. But if it's, a bunch of images of his kids and then you know using stenography there's things hidden inside of it you may not investigate those images any further than okay images all right well let's check the baseboard for hidden compartments so you can hide a lot more things there which might be hard for a player to realize but it, it might be a fun way if you have very tradecraft aware players or players who are you know you want to reward some you want to make them get a, another clue to lead them down this rabbit hole then maybe you can utilize that and for folks who aren't super aware of stenography it's just hiding something in something uh, so like if you, you can take a JPEG image and you can embed like an audio file in it. So if you open the JPEG with an audio player, you get audio and use a bunch of other, there's a bunch of other things you can do. I know like a friend of mine likes to, he's into like audio, audio editing and music making and he'll like make entire tracks by like compressing pictures and converting them to like a certain file. To, I I don't understand it. And every time he tries to get me to listen to it, I just kind of smile and nod along and go like, this is neat. But I feel like someone who really knows what they're doing in that field could encrypt some information or, you know, encrypt some messages that way for sure. Looking at the back of the book again, we've already covered a little bit about B&E, surveillance, going unnoticed. Um, We covered interrogation a little bit. Disposing of a body, is that something we want to talk about? Not on the record. Just kidding. I I do recall there are some tips for disposing of a body. Yeah, I'm looking at the back of the book, um, like all the really gruesome ways you could, you know, dispose of a body, melting it in industrial acid or, uh, you know, like a industrial crucible. This is this is so heavy. Like those uh, that scene where Walt White does it in Breaking Bad always made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those cases where if the players have time, I wouldn't I would just want to know how they're doing it because it's. I don't want to say trivial, but I mean, it's simple enough given, you know, a week to take care of a body. But if you have to do it in a hurry, then, you know, maybe having this stuff planned out ahead of time or making some sort of a role in the heat of the moment might be worth it. You know, it's funny right here um, for a task dissolve, safely dissolve a body in acid. It says three rolls of dex times five or science chemistry to avoid damage. And there's no opposing skill. There's no opposing skill. So... I guess you're just avoiding the damage from the acid and like that's the only risk that it imposes on you. That's that's interesting because I uh, up until now I just kind of presumed these were like a binary pass fail. That that kind of seems like again three rolls of dex times five feels like rolling to fail, but it also feels like as long as you wear the proper PVE, you're fine. So you get a boost to your feels, roll. This there, feels huh? like a half baked idea that guy was written in and then left there without like, how, how much I mean, how much damage. Uh-huh. We, know, we, we know that there's a lot of stuff in, in the book that was just written to um, to just be very simple mechanically, and they didn't get looked too closely at, like how vehicle ramming damage is the sum of its lethality equal to the sum of, of armor and HP, and that means that ramming someone is more deadly than a cruise missile half the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not just a table, and a subsequent page says it's 1d4 per failed oh, okay. chemistry oh, roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 
because uh, everything that's on the table does get broken down. It's it's actually a pretty good, really neat section there at the back with all the tradecraft stuff. Yeah, I didn't go to the next couple pages. That's that's good point. Good pointing that out. There's also you know we've talked about you know, like if you're Delta Green and you kill a guy, there's very little reason to need to dispose of the body unless the body is the vector. If he was like just uh, sprinkle a little crack, then you just leave him on the road. Case solved, you know. So you got to make sure there's a reason. Or if you want your players to get deep into the how to destroy a body using an you know, industrial crucible, maybe you need to make sure the body needs to be destroyed as part of the operation. It is, I mean, I, I would support players destroying bodies because it at least sh- shows they're putting a little more thought into their murders than just, I roll firearms and run away. Yeah, I, I mean, I want that. I'm just saying, I, if, I, if I want it, I think I got to give them a reason to, to do it that way. Then I can do it by default because there's no reason. The rules are there also for search and arrest, which is... Always something we laugh at here. Why would I arrest the wizard? Yeah. It's still fun, I think. Uh it's it's an option that's out there. Maybe like uh for like players that are newer to the game, they might it's almost like a like a meta to it. Like they'll try and go through things the proper way and then like the more veteran players and perhaps even like the more veteran like player characters would be like, nah kid, we don't do it that way. I had one other thought about something, but it, it might actually make Max you make your problem worse. Is that a smart organization would use cutouts? So, like, it would which is someone who's you know between like the kingpin and the the drug sellers. There's someone in the middle who doesn't know enough about either side to be useful. They only know that like the two people on either side of them. Or so if they get grabbed and interrogated, they truly know nothing. You know, they can't give up the whole organization. Which again, I think it'll just cause some of your players to hi- hyperviolence them. But is good is good tradecraft. This was That's uh, why I keep saying that you should do surveillance instead of grabbing every NPC and beating it until it tells you something. Because most of the time, it's not going to tell you something. It was a similar process that was explained to me in army training about how IEDs get planted. There'll be like ten people involved, and they'll only know one or two other people at a time. Because you have the person who procures the bomb material, you have the person who assembles the bomb, you have another one that digs a hole, you have another one that plants the device, you have another one that detonates the device. And nobody in that knows like the other one. They might know like someone who paid them, but it might be a different person that pays each and every one of them. So I don't really know how I would have players, if I wrote that into a scenario at that level of complexity, I don't know how I'd have players attack it. I mean, maybe just through road surveillance, we'd be able to catch it and you'd figure out enough of the connections to make it work. You'd almost have to do like what Max was describing, where they just snatch somebody up and have to work it out that way. Because, I mean, like there's a certain amount of evidence you can pull from each step of the way, uh, but it's it's really hard to pin it. Like, there's a reason why organizations do it that way to avoid detection, because it's a good way to avoid getting caught. And maybe that doesn't necessarily translate into game terms like how we want it to, so we should simplify it. And remember that, like, nobody's perfect. Pobody's nerfed. Pobody's nerfed. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about interrogations on this show and ways that the handler, the person running the game, can make them better. But we understand that a lot of the people who listen to our show are the players of the game, and you can't necessarily control the GM's behavior. No one likes to be told, hey, listen to this podcast or watch this video. It'll make you a better DM or whatever. So 
we should give some advice to the players of the game, things they can do when the subject of interrogation comes up. I think one one big caveat on the front of things, obviously, if well, if the advice we give you is different than how your handler wants to run things, you have to deconflict that yourselves. You know, please don't tell your handler he's an idiot because he's doing something not the way we talked about here, uh, player side of things. So just be aware. Uh, Jake and I have both uh, either have or currently uh, work in law enforcement. And I know one of the things I always did, whether it was, you know, uh, an actual like law enforcement suspect or just someone who worked for me who had been caught with his hand in the cookie jar kind of thing. My main my golden rule there was, was always never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Like if you're asking your your suspect, if you're asking the cultist, you know where their hideout is. If you don't know the answer to that, then every you've no way to know who's giving you a correct answer. There's, there's no value there. But if you know the answer and he lies, that's very valuable intelligence. Same as if you know the answer and he tells you the truth, it's also very valuable. So that would be my number one thing. Is that'd be my number one thing? Is don't ask a question you don't know the answer. But if you if you're trying to find something out, that device is useless though. <laughs> Like if we're talking about well, trying to get information from an interrogation and well, you, yeah, you, you're trying to find something out you don't already know, Kevin. Well, kind of, yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, start there. So, for example, if you, rather than just grabbing a suspect off the street, grabbing the cultist, suspect the cultist off the street and interrogating him, if you follow him around for a, for a little while, you're going to get all this intelligence. Hey, where were you going? Uh, nowhere. But you just followed him. You know he was going back to his apartment. You know, hey, do you live around here? No, I live, you know, in Brooklyn. Well, you just witnessed them come out of a building over here. So, like, all these little things can give you intelligence. Right. It's slightly intimidating also because, uh, like, that already sets the idea of, like, we're watching you. We know something about you. And it might leave them to worry or wonder, you know, where, what else do they know about me? And, like, let let them dig a hole because they will tell you more than they want to. And this actually does work with handlers. Um, I know I, as a handler, have fallen into this trap of if, if the players are silent, I will try to fill the silence sometimes with like more dialogue from the from the person. And if I do that, there's a chance I might give away something I shouldn't give away, so, which works in real life, too. So maybe just ask a simple question and then sit back and see where the handler goes with it. So obviously, you know, if you if you can't follow my golden rule because you know all the answers already, if you ask a couple of questions, you know, the answer to you, you can gauge whether or not the person you're interrogating is telling the truth or not, you know. Not every interrogation is the same. Some people are going to play ball, some are not. And you can get a feel right away how they answer questions. There's, uh, you know, a lot of people might not necessarily know how to, like, go about an interrogation to begin with. So maybe we should start with just some basics. Like, it's a group effort uh, when you play a role-playing game. But maybe, you know, you need to think about it before you actually get down to the question asking, you need to figure out like what the focus, what you're trying to find out, like already, like right from the beginning. And maybe don't all like dogpile into the room with the person that you're trying to ask the question to, because, you know, if your characters are arguing and your agents are arguing in character about what to ask about, it kind of like presents a bad view to the, the target, the suspect. Like these guys don't have it all together. I can easily withstand their bullshit. Plus, I mean, you you can. I mean, good cop, bad cop is a trope because it works. So yeah. if you if you know, so before you go before you go in the interrogation room, if you get together with all the other agents, you discuss like, all right, what are our goals here? We want to know where the cultist hideout is and you know what the magic spell is to stop them. Whatever. 
go in there. First person can take one tack, you know, maybe trying to be the guy's friend and, you know, trying to be trying to create a rapport, build, you know, build a rapport back and forth. And then someone else can come in when that first player is kind of out of ideas. They can be a real hard ass about things. They can kind of play off each other a little bit there. Um, I had a, a Delta Green player who uh, was actually a US military interrogator. So he was uh, stunningly good at interrogations. Like to the point where I wouldn't let him, like I would, he would, he would just get a straight roll to, to get information. He's like, I couldn't, I couldn't defeat him in interrogation world. Um, but he said in his military service, all of his interrogations were about building a relationship, building a rapport with the person, because then the person will tell you things. So obviously, you don't want to role play out, you know, two weeks of intense back and forth rapport building, but you can get that sense across and try to get some trust there. Yeah, that's the thing about the in the rules, the interrogations are supposed to take a very, very long time. Like in the game fiction, you know, whether that's tearing the subject down, building a rapport you know, working an angle over time. But in, like, at the table, it can feel like not a whole lot of time has passed at all. So you kind of, like, my, my best advice is to use the rules because the rules do say, you know, this is going to take a very long amount of time for you to get, like, at the at the question you're asking. So in each, each time someone, uh, like, the enemy opposes it, they have to spend willpower points and they also have to roll. So, like, if you use the rules and you break it down, like, what are you trying to get at? Like, get, like, the intent of what you're trying to get out of your handler and then roll the dice. It can alleviate, you know, like, the pressure of you not knowing what you're doing or um, just kind of help keep the game moving forward instead of, like, bickering back and forth uh, with other players about what what you're trying to get done there. Maybe set up a signal. I think... Brooklyn Nine Nine did this in a very comedy. comedy oh, I, I love but, Brooklyn Nine Nine's interrogations; they're always set, so fun. Set up a signal where, like, if, if you're out, if you're outside the room, you're watching through the glass, right? And you want to step in, don't just shout your objection, you know, over the table. Set up a thing where you, where you can, like, you know, uh, uh, my character's in, you know, knock on the door. Hey, you get a you get a phone call. I go in there and ask your question. You know, like set up set up some signs ahead of time, or like um, all the people that aren't participating directly in the interrogation they can be watching over the camera there's a camera or like using the wireless earpiece communications so they can still like feed questions and like that they want answered you know but brooklyn 99 has some really clever takes on interrogations like i watched one the other day where this guy like definitely murdered someone and he wouldn't break like in the questioning and then like finally they figured out that the guy had a really big ego so they go in there and they start accusing him of all these wrong things and like setting him up with like some false evidence. And then like he finally breaks his like ego snaps and he, they, they like they, they trick a confession out of him. And that's that's sort of a, like a good representation of what it looks like when someone runs out of willpower points in an interrogation. Yeah, to go back to my earlier point, remember, if you'd done surveillance or if you'd researched this person and knew that they were like that, then you have you have leverage against them and they do some other like unusual style interrogations like they might have someone come in and pose as like another member of this person's gang or uh those are like like fun tactics you can do is like a little bit different to get stuff done yeah remember that you're playing delta green there is a very low likelihood that your interrogation has to withstand any legal tests so one the police can 
do all sorts of tricks anyway, but you can do even more tricks. You know, I'm pretty sure we talked in the past about having someone come in and pretend to be their lawyer. We talked about that as a way to get another agent out of trouble, but have another agent go in and pretend to be the person's lawyer and, you know, work on that. Hey, dude, you, like, you're going to go to jail for terrorism. You're going to go to Gitmo. You got to give these guys something. I'm just a public defender. You know, like, play that angle up. One of the things I, I, I want to try to also kind of get across is, if you're a really good role player, like if you and the and the handler have a good back and forth and you really enjoy getting into character, then, you know, lean on that rather than maybe you might, you might not have the best, you know, persuade skill, but lean on your ability to just talk like a human. But some people aren't great role players, so they're just not, you know, that kind of player. So then lean on your on your skill and just say, well, look, you know, uh, it's I can't string these words together in a coherent way. My character's got 80 persuade. He knows how to make it happen. Here's the information I want. Let me roll for it. And that's kind of a... But do you get to work back and forth with your handler to figure out what's going to be okay? But don't let, you know, play to your strengths, you know, either rolling or role play. Try not to get in a situation where you have to do the thing you're not good at. What about like, and the rules is written in the way we're talking about, everything is kind of a long time frame. But there's always that like 24 style interrogation. You know, you grab the guy, where's the bomb? You get, you know, 20, you get two minutes. Any advice for players, at least in terms of how to get, how to do like a rapid interrogation? Oh, uh, I don't know, because uh, like people can withstand like a lot of questioning and like uh, even like physical torture can people can withstand that or else, it, you know, they might like feed you unreliable information like uh, a really good movie I've seen that has uh, interrogation in it was uh, unthinkable. It's got Samuel Jackson and Carrie Ann Moss in it, and you should give that a shot sometime. But um like they have that sort of like the the nuclear bomb on a timer thing going there, and the whole time they're just like rapidly increasing the intensity of their interrogation techniques and their of torture essentially by the end. But um, and he holds out. Like I don't I don't know that it works that way like in real life, but I don't think that should dissuade you from trying it in the game because the game is all about you know it's fun, it's cool, it's you know different. I I don't know. So I do want to just honorably state, like factually, torture doesn't work. Right, um, absolutely you know, not. Fight, fight me in the comments, but you're wrong. Um, but definitely, it if, works if, in cases where you can immediately verify the information you're being given, which is very yeah. rare in intelligence like, what, work. What's, what's your What's your password on your yeah. computer? But even that, like, I have an encrypted hard drive, and I have two passwords, and one of them will obliterate the hard drive. So, like, fuck off. And, but anyway, um, uh, all my taxes are on there. Um, I don't remember where I thought was going from that, so I lost it. Uh, that torture oh, doesn't I, work. I remember, yeah. So, I mean, to find the torture doesn't work, if, you know, if you're playing a pulpier game or, you know, you want the heat of the moment, like, 24 still had some great moments, even though he was torturing people. You know, that's fine. Maybe it'll work out in your scenario, in your um, in your thing. That's pretty weak. I'm not sure if we're going to get it in there. That's fine. Um, what about, uh, have you heard of the read technique? Oh, for read technique. Although maybe, maybe it's, you know what? Maybe this part of it. Um, another favorite thing I used to do is like, say I want to know, you know, say I want to know where the cultist hideout is. If I ask him, you know, where's, where's the hideout, cultist hideout? He can just say, I don't know. And you're stuck. But if right. you say, if you say like, you know, where have you been the last couple last couple of days? He has to, in theory, he has to give you something. If he says, I don't know, then like you can be like, oh, that's bullshit. We know it's bullshit. You, you are a human being that knows where you were. But also, again, kind of playing the interrogation game with your handler. If you ask your handler, you know, well, I'm asking where this guy has been. Handler's got to give you something in theory. You know, it would be silly to give you nothing. 
and you can use that factual information he gives you, especially if you're asking him questions he has to come up with on the fly. This is kind of a dirty move. But like if you're asking him questions that he hasn't written answers down ahead of time and he has to make it up, you can start to catch him in things. And then also, you're, try, you're trying to catch the handler line yeah, yeah, exactly. instead of, instead of, <laughs> instead of so, the NPC. So I'm, I'm going to just suggest that catching the handler with content that is they're not prepared for and drilling about that. Um, you seemed pretty upset when I did it to you, Kevin. You seemed it very frustrated with me. And the That's fact that you're now working. turning around and telling other people to do it. I mean, it's I'm saying it in uh, not necessarily tongue firmly in cheek, but in, in all good fun, at least. Because like, I've, if, I've if, been... if your handler says there's nothing down that road, you should respect that. But if your handler is going to roll with it and make up a backstory for the guy, then you can... If you can find a hole, then you're not poking a hole in the handler's story. You're poking a hole in the guy's story. You've not found a clue. Again, with handler's consent. All right, what's the what's the read technique? Oh, it's uh, like a real life thing that almost just half wood. Actual investigators use uh, to try and break people down during uh, interrogations and questioning. You can definitely Google it. It's out there, but like they do offer like classes for law enforcement that want to take these. And there's like Isn't a lot of that's the one that's completely it. pseudoscience. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's like there's some psychology involved in it, but it is questionable. Yeah, so pseudoscience. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's questionable, and some like criticism of it that it can lead to like false uh, false confessions or false uh, you know. But, but I think for like a game like Delta Green, it's fun. And you, you say false confessions, game. I say clearance rate, baby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah that's thinking like an agent. Um, but it's no, like, a thinking nine, like a cop agents wouldn't even bother with the conviction. So give it's, us some it's still closure. It's still like a, you know, 100% closure rate. It looks good on the, uh, oh. Delta green agents performance evaluation. So give us, yeah. Cthulhu took over the world or as the thoughts destroyed the world, but you got the guy, uh, you know, the busted tail light. <laughs> um, so give, give me, give me some, give me some running through well, some like of these the, steps. The first one is confrontation. You know, you come to them with like a piece of like credible evidence. Um, you know, like, hey, I saw you come out of that club last night or, you know, something that actually happened. But it's like I was saying earlier, let's the person know that you have been keeping tabs on them or that you are watching them kind of makes you one like makes them wonder, like, uh, how much what do they know about me? Um, I'm not going to go through like all nine of these steps, because like I said, you could you could definitely just Google this if you want to, like, try and bring it into your game. But competition well, um, I just want to say that's a good one where so this might work better in real life than it does in the game. But again, if you explain to your handler what you're trying to do here, he might give you the clue for this, right? So like if you give the hand, if you tell the if you tell the NPC, hey, uh, notice you got a couple of tattoos in your arms there. You know, I know uh, some of those are gang related. Like if you let him just spin a narrative, he, he's gonna trip. You know, the, the in character, he's gonna trip himself up with something. He's gonna talk about stuff, and if you don't move on to the next question, just let him keep explaining. Yeah, uh, part part of the read technique is that that thing that like people hate to like sit there in silence. So like they want to say yeah. something. So as long as you just get people like moving forward and talking, they're going to like spill the beans eventually, whether it's by accident or because you coax it out of them. No, this, um, is a case, this is a case where you may want to like handle that's what you're trying to do at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if, if you can, but definitely that definitely works. And like, um, you know, over, over the course of time, you kind of like break them down psychologically. You might even convince them that like you're rooting for them or you're on their side or you're sympathetic. Um, it involves like reading their body language, you know, and then like um, there's that like an old psychology trick. And again, you know, remember some psychology is pseudoscience, but um, 
you like mimic the like the way the person is like sitting. So like uh, if you're standing there and your arms are crossed, um, I'm gonna like mimic that same behavior because it identifies like sameness between you and me. Makes you like want to trust me and be your friend a little more. So but, this, is a, this is a place where I, if I was a player, I might argue if I don't have the highest persuade, let's say I've got psychotherapy or I've got another relevant skill. Hey, let me roll this instead because it relates to this interrogation. You know, uh, but I want to have the same kind of effect that can give you a leg up. That way, your your best talker isn't doing. All or the like, um, if the person you have in the chair is like criminology, like maybe you could even roll criminology because you want to like relate to the person. Like, I think um, like pitching to your handler to use alternate skills during an interrogation is good because like an opposed persuade versus persuade roll, it can get kind of stale, right? Well, it allows you to bring depth off your bench. You know, hey, you know, your, your anthropologist anthropologist is all into history and has a you know minor in psychology all of a sudden they're relevant now they can help out yeah you know any chance you get to like let a player feel useful is good i think and players should be their own advocates sometimes but like continuing on a little bit just a little bit more about the read technique um over time like after you've like taken away like that edge of hostility Part of it is for you to bring more investigators in to like into the interrogation room with you. So like we said, you know, start off alone. But at this point in time, you could like bring more people in and like have it like a conversation and be like, oh, it's Smitty. You'll never believe what this guy just said and like what he's going through. So like that's good, like for like role playing to bring other people into the game, whereas they had just been sitting there maybe watching from the other side of the glass. Yeah, that's also a case where. You know, you mentioned earlier, if you know the guy is, the guy's a really awesome, you know, he's really proud of his, all his car collections. You know, talking to him, talking shit to him about him is not that great, but talking to your other, other guy, like, hey, you see when we bust this Praise guy, is better yeah. than like disdain when you're trying to convince someone yeah. that you're on their side. Yeah. Like talk, I mean, even if you're just, you know, like, talking with your other agents about stuff, let the guy hear, let him offer up something. All of a sudden, you know. You're, and like the theory is that eventually, like you, become best friends with this guy right before you like nail his ass if all fails you just hook a you bring in the copy machine put a pasta strainer on his head and print out a copy of the word lie i, I don't get the reference <laughs> the, the police all right so I, I don't remember where i'll find i'll find the article for the show notes they brought a copy machine in and on the copier tray they put the word lie and then they put a pasta oh like it's a lie detector and test. every time he said something they would hit copy lie lie kevin my dude <laughs> oh my god this is an episode of the wire was it an episode of the they did in real it's, it's a, I mean, you you may be correct that it's based on a true story, but I'm pretty sure what you're remembering is is a trick that Bunk Moreland plays on a suspect in the wire. That's, that's pretty clever. You like uh, if like if a player did something like that, but besides like you know it, not a pasta strainer and a copying machine, but like if you hooked up some wires to a computer and you said this is like a voice stress analysis test, which is more Bunk science, by the way. Um, like, and you tricked the person, like, that would be, that'd be good. Like, I'd allow something like that, you know, to go a bonus on the rolls, the dice rolls, or, you know, maybe like failing an int times five check and this person like believes you. Like, have, have fun with it. Yeah. I believe that. So, uh, just doing some quick Googling, it does appear to be somewhat apocryphal. There's a ton of sources that date back to like the 60s, um, but none of them have been able to be tracked down to like a legit court, like a court case or anything. And then it does say that this inspired an episode of the TV show Homicide, which is what inspired That's the wire. Funny. Oh, like Homicide, uh, Life on the Streets or whatever from the yeah, that, that 90s. Was, that was, yeah, that was a precursor to the wire. But regardless, oh, I didn't know that. that's legal. The police can lie to you. If you they can lie to you in interrogations and 
in Delta Green, it doesn't matter because you're not trying to make it stick. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen anyone try like and use a actual prosecution like in Delta Green. Uh, we have anything else, guys? Uh, I just. I mean, I hope that we. You know, we. I think we've been kind of critical on interrogations from a handler point of view. Hopefully, this gives players a way to add some role play and make a make an interrogation interesting. It can be a fun part of uh, you know cop drama. So hopefully, it works. 